So church, you know that we are in our series called Different. We're listening to the most famous sermon ever preached by the most famous preacher who ever lived. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it can be found in Matthew chapter 5 verses uh, chapters 5, 6 and 7. So I'm inviting you now to come to Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 to 20. Let me read that passage for us and then we'll get into it. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever pra practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, before we get into that passage, let me just set things up for us this way. The year is 1993, and uh, this is my final year in high school. We're, write, we're writing the final exam. We're done after this, this exam. We're done with high school, no longer in high school again. And so after that exam, we went and we handed in our textbooks. Remember that? Where you had to hand in your textbooks and then the teacher signs off to say that you have been cleared. And then after that, a group of friends and, and I, we decided we're going to go up to the roof of the, of the school, second floor of the school on the roof. And we're going to take with us our notebooks that we've been using. And we're going to toss these notebooks up in the air and watch them fall to the ground two stories down. That was our celebration. That was marking that we're done with high school, that this is the end of our high school careers. How did you celebrate finishing high school? What did you do? What was your ritual? What was your celebration? That was ours. And so you're thinking to yourself, what is that going to do with Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20? And I know others of you are thinking, 1993, you were finishing high school? Dude, I wasn't even born yet. How old are you? Because you don't look a day older than 30. And you'll be right, not a day older than 30. But the reason I'm telling you this story, come with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. So Jesus says, as I'm speaking to you, don't be tempted to, to go up on the second floor of some building or to go up a mountain somewhere or a high place and throw away the law and the prophets and throw away the, the Bible, the Old Testament section of the Bible. Don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. Don't think that the, because of the things I've been saying, now you need to get rid of your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. So Church, how how and might these guys come to that conclusion? How might they be tempted to think that Jesus is saying, uh, throw away the old the Old Testament section of your Bible? Well, it's possible that they might come to that conclusion, but how? Well, it's because of what Jesus has been saying in this sermon, how he introduced this sermon. He gave us eight things, eight marks of a Jesus follower, 
eight marks of a person who's been approved by God. That's what the word blessed means. It means being approved by God, accepted by God, the happy person according to God's, uh, according to God's economy. And so the happy person, the one who's approved by God, it has nothing to do with the law. So notice what is missing in what Jesus has said. He doesn't say blessed are the most spiritual. He doesn't say blessed are those who keep the rituals. He doesn't say blessed are those who do all to perform the law. Those who are good at keeping the law are the ones who are blessed. No, there is actually no reference to the law. Not once does Jesus mention the law as the means by which you become accepted by God. As the means by which you become right uh, with God. As the means by which you come into the kingdom of God. He does not mention the law at all. And so you, if I was sitting there listening to Jesus as he was preaching on that day, I'll be tempted to think that Jesus is saying, out with the old and in with the new. Let's go out and throw away and toss in the into the air, the Old Testament, because it is now null and void. It does not apply anymore. Those people listening to Jesus on this day might be delighted to say, we don't have to keep the law anymore. We don't have to live by the law anymore. But my dear friends, also in this crowd of about 200, 250 people gathered to listen to Jesus as he teaches, would have been... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Notice that in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So they'll have been listening to Jesus. This young rabbi from this uh, obscure little town. This young man who says he's teaching God's word, doing God's work. They'll have been listening to Jesus and they would have been losing their minds at this stage. They would have been absolutely furious with Jesus because he says coming into God's kingdom, being right with God uh, 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 is now based on these eight things and not the law. Where is the law, Jesus? How dare you come here and teach these things that are devoid of the law? Where is the law? They would have been losing their minds at this stage. And so Jesus, in verses 17 to 20, wants to address both groups. The group that might get it wrong in thinking that he's saying, go and throw away the law. And the group that say, if you want to be right with God, you need to keep the law. So Jesus is speaking to both groups. And so that's what I want to see, want us to see in verses 17 to 20. And so we're going to be doing it under two headings. The first is Jesus's attitude to the law. And then the second thing that I want to see is the disciples' attitude to the law. So I hope that you've got your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. And I also hope that you've got some device where you can take down notes because there's some key things that God wants to say to you this morning for your growth and for your relationship with him. So let's get into it. Jesus' attitude to the law. Listen to verses 17 and 18 as I read for us once again. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What is Jesus saying? Don't get it twisted. 
Don't get it wrong. Don't get mixed up from what I'm saying. Let me clear things up for you. Let me tell you how things really are. Church, have you ever been in that situation where you've been misunderstood, maybe in your office, where you've been misquoted, maybe with your friends or with your family? Ever been there, church? Please put that in the comment section, either yes or no, if you, if you know what it means to be misunderstood or misquoted. As a husband, I know how it is like to be misquoted and, and, and misunderstood. As a parent, I know what it means to be misquoted and misunderstood because my, my, my kids have this uh, habit of coming and saying, but daddy, you said one, two, three, four, five. And then I have to go back and say to them, listen, that is not what I meant. You misunderstood what I was saying. And so then I begin to tell them once more the thing that I want them to know. So Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't want people to come to their own conclusions or to come to this conclusion that he's here to abolish the law and the prophets. He doesn't want them to think or to, to, to also think that keeping the law and the prophets is a means of being right with God, is the key to entering into a relationship with God. He says no to both parties. And so that's why he says, listen, if you are going to be right with God, you have to start by recognizing that you are poor of spirit that you uh, have a deficit spiritually, that you are bankrupt spiritually because God is holy and perfect and pure and he demands holiness and perfection from you and I. We are far from that and so we are spiritually bankrupt. We cannot do anything to help ourselves and so we come before God as beggars for God to do something for us. And we come in an attitude of mourning before God. We mourn the things we think about, the words we say, the deeds of our, of our, of our lives, because they are in contravention to God and his word. We come with an attitude of humility before God, knowing that we are helpless and, and, and hopeless without him. And so we come crying out before him, God, won't you do something for us that we can't do? Won't you do something that only you, God, can do? Won't you make us acceptable before you? For we have sinned and fallen short. And God does that. He does it out of his grace and his mercy. He accepts us and he says that you are the blessed man. You are the, the approved woman because you have come to realize where you stand spiritually. But church, watch this. Once I've, come, I've been accepted by God as a kingdom person, as his child, once I've been approved of God uh, as one of his own, it then leads me to living God's way. Because there was a time in my own life where I didn't care what God had to say. I didn't care what the Bible had to say. But once I came to this place where I saw that I'm spiritually poor, that I am a dis I'm destitute and desperate before him, and God did this transformational work, this change within him by grace, and grace meaning undeserved favor, as God poured out his mercy and love upon me, I now want to live God's way. I now have a desire to obey what God says in his word. And so where do we go to find how to serve God, how to live our lives to please God? Where is it that we can go to find how we live a life that worships God, that honors God, that gives glory to God? Well, it is in God's word, isn't it? It is in God's law. And so Jesus says, I've not come to abolish that law. 
I've come actually to uphold it. The law was there and was given by God as an expression of our gratitude for his grace and love. The law was given as an expression of uh, our loyalty and faithfulness to God for his grace and favor that we did not uh, deserve. The law was given by God so that we could express our appreciation that we have been approved by him, that he has welcomed us into his kingdom that we did not deserve because of our sin and our rebellion. So watch this church. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, you read there, God begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who rescued you, Israel, out of uh, uh, out of slavery. I am the Lord your God who has delivered you. I am the Lord your God who has saved you with, a, with my powerful outstretched arm. I have rescued you. I have saved you and I brought you to this place. It was out of my grace and mercy and love. Not because you are a numerous big nation. Not because you are the most holy and righteous people. But because I set my love upon you and because of my grace and mercy showed to you. And so because I've saved you, so God brings them to the foot of this mountain and he begins to speak to them. And he says, because I've rescued you, because I'm the Lord, your God, here's how you ought to live. And he gives them the law. He gives them the law to live by so that they can be different. The law made them different from all the other nations. It set them apart in their thinking, in their speaking, in their doing to be different from all the nations. And it was meant to be for Israel something that communicated their appreciation for what God has done. Their worship of God for his grace and mercy on them. The law was given to Israel so that they might show their loyalty and faithfulness by obeying the words that God has given to them. It was never meant to be the means by which Israel will come into relationship with God. The law doesn't bring us into God's grace. God's grace leads us to obedience to God's word so that we might live as his people. But friends, you and I know how this operates, don't we? Because we live our lives more or less in the same way. Let me show you. I have two kids. I want my two kids to listen to me and to do what I tell them to do, not because they fear me, not because they think by doing what uh, I've told them to do, they will have a relationship with me. I want my kids to listen and to do what I'm telling them because they know that their father loves them, that he has their best interests at heart. And so they will do what I say to them because they trust me. They know who I am and that I have nothing but their best interest at heart. And so in verses 17 and 18, Jesus says, listen, guys. Don't come to a, a wrong conclusion. You don't come to enter God's, into God's kingdom. You don't come into relationship with God by keeping the law, as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thought. And the law is not null and void for you who are thinking that there's a new way of living. But the law is there as an expression of your, of your, your gratitude before God. Because once you've come to understand that you're bankrupt, once you've understood that you are broken before God, and you understood that God's grace has been poured out upon you, the undeserving, 
You will want to live God's way. How? By keeping his word, by keeping the law that he has given to you, by living out God's word. And for the people that were listening to Jesus on that day, God's word, as it is summed up here by Jesus, is summed up and called the law and the prophets. So the law was the first five books of Moses, the law that God gave to Moses, the Ten Commandments, and the rest of the, the Old Testament that explains how to live the law. And the prophets were those that were doing two things. Number one, calling God's people back to repentance and faith in God and reminding them that, number two, there's a Messiah to come. So this is the law and the prophets. And so it was the Old Testament Bible. So Jesus is saying, I've not come to throw away the Old Testament Bible. I've not come to throw away the law and the prophets. I've not come to do away with that, says Jesus. But notice what he does say in verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's the key of what Jesus says about the law and the prophets. Jesus says, I have come. I am God's son on God's mission. I have a purpose to fulfill and I have a mission to carry out. And it is not to abolish the law and the prophets, but notice then verse 17, it is to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so the question C4 that we need to ask ourselves is, how does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? So watch this. Let's just take a couple of examples from the Old Testament. God said in his law, to the people of Israel, that if you're going to maintain relationship with me, you have to bring a sacrifice. So he establishes the sacrificial system as a reminder that we are sinful and God is holy and we need God's forgiveness upon our lives all the time. You bring the blood of bulls and goats and rams and sheep as a sacrifice before the Lord, before, before God Almighty. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill that. And how does he do it? Well, we have to come to the end of the, of the gospel of Matthew because there we find that Jesus is crucified on a cross. And as he's, as he's dying on the cross, he's saying, I'm dying in the place of others so that they can find forgiveness. I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice. I'm going to be that lamb whose blood is spilled so that you can have relationship with God, a complete relationship with God that cannot be fulfilled by the blood of goats and bulls and sheep. I'm the ultimate sacrifice. How about the temple? God said, build a temple to Israel and I will cause my name to dwell in the temple. That's where my presence will be found. Jesus comes and he says, I am the temple. I am the ultimate temple that the Old Testament was, was pointing towards. I am now the place where a holy God meets with sin, sinful people and have relationship and fellowship. So I'm the fulfillment of the temple. And the, all the other rituals that are in the Old Testament, all the other sacrifices, all the other ceremonies, they were all pointing to Jesus. And in Jesus, they are fulfilled because he gives up his life on our behalf. He lives the perfect life on our behalf so that we can have relationship and be approved and accepted by God. What about the prophets? Well, the prophets spoke about the coming Messiah. 
And the prophets spoke about uh, and warned Israel to come back into relationship with God. Jesus fulfills that. He says that those who come to me will find forgiveness. Come unto me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and you'll find rest. And then Jesus also said that he is the Messiah who has come to rescue those who are in darkness. He's the good news that has come. So he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So watch the C4. Because Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament uh, and fulfilled the law and the prophets, two things become true. Number one, we don't become anti-law. We don't throw away the law. We don't do away with the law as if it is null and void. But now we see the law as an expression of our gratitude. We, see the, we use the law to worship God in obedience to his word. We use the law to remind us of his grace and his mercy. We use, the, we use the law to say, we want to serve you, God. We want to live for you. We want to do things that bring glory and honor and praise to you, the things that bring you joy. And so we live by your word. We don't use uh, uh, um, the, 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 the law as a means to becoming right with God. But we use the law. We see the law as our expression of faithfulness, loyalty to God by doing as he said. And then number two, we trust in Jesus who fulfilled the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. So we trust in him. We follow him. We listen to him. We do as he tells us to do. And so Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. And then the second thing that we find that Jesus says, he says, I don't want you to have the wrong idea. So what should the, the disciples' attitude be to the law? Well, listen to this in verses 19 and 20. Follow with me. Therefore, anyone who breaks one of, of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciple, the one who says, I'm following Jesus, I want to live for Jesus, keeps the law, says Jesus. You don't throw away the law. You don't go up on the second story building as we did on our last day of high school and throw away the law. You don't do that. You keep the law. Uh, um, and 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 the, the word that um, Jesus actually uses there uh, for keeping the law is to not to relax the law, not to break the law, not to loosen the law in any way. No, we uphold the law. We are a people who have been accepted by God into his kingdom. We are people that have received grace and love and mercy from God that we do not we do not deserve. And so what is our response? What is our act of worship and service before God? We uphold the law. We keep the law. We obey the law because that's what pleases God. So we don't try and find loopholes to get away with stuff from the law, to get away with sin. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were experts at doing that. They looked at the 613 laws given by God, and they would say, yes, we want to keep them, but how can we stretch out each one of them so far that we know where sin is? How far can I go before it becomes a sin? 
How far can I go before I break the law? My dear friends, it's not only the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had this problem. I have this problem because I tell myself, well, how far can I go before it becomes sin? How far can I entertain this thought? How far can I continue to do what I'm doing with my life before it becomes sin? How far can I relax the law? Can I massage the law so that it fits in to my thinking and my wishes and desires? I find ways to relax God's law, to soften it until it looks the way that I want it to look. But the truth is, my dear friends, we know, the, we, we know what God calls sin. We know what sin is from the Bible. We know the things that please God, that bring him honor and pleasure. We know what is unfaithfulness before God, what is betrayal of God when we do these things. We know these things. We know what the word of God says because we have God's word. And so Jesus is speaking this morning and saying we don't throw away the law. We as disciples, people who have been blessed, who have been approved by God, accepted by God, who understand the grace and the mercy of God, the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. We practice the law. Notice this in verse 19. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What a title to be given by the Lord, isn't it? To be called great in the kingdom of heaven, in God's kingdom. But when you and I massage the law, when we relax it, when we, when we try and, and, and pull it to its furthest and, and, and tell ourselves, how far can I go before I break the law? And then teach others, notice then verse, uh, verse 19, teach others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. What an embarrassment. But when I realize that I'm poor spiritually, when I realize that I have no spiritual standing and God, is, by his grace and mercy, has accepted me, I uphold the law, says Jesus. I keep the commandments and I keep God's word because that's what pleases him. And I do it as an act of worship. I do it as an act of showing my gratitude, my love, my appreciation. For God's grace. And grace means undeserved favor. My dear friends, God has poured out his grace upon yours and my life. So how do we live? We bring ourselves and say, Lord, we want to obey you. We want to be faithful to you. We want to honor you by doing what you have said in your word for us to do. And then verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Can I tell you, church, this morning, that those listening to Jesus say the words in verse 20 will have been grasping, gasping for air. They will have been gasping for air because Jesus says, I must, uh, uh, my righteousness must surpass that of the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They will have been gasping for air. At these words of Jesus, I remember a scene in um, Avengers Infinity Wars when Iron Man dies. I was sitting in the movie house and the whole movie house gasped for air. Like, what happens next? What's going to come? These guys listening to Jesus were gasping for air in the same way. Because Jesus says, unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were men who had said, we're going back to the Bible. They're the back to the Bible movement guys. They said, we are going to keep the law, all 613. We're actually going to uh, even explain the law so that we can keep it as best as we can. They were committed to doing that. And so within their communities, within their society and culture, they were known as the righteous ones, the holy ones who kept the law. And so Jesus is saying, if I'm going to enter into the kingdom of God, then I need to outdo them. I need to uh, uh, outperform them. Take one of these great uh, athletes. For some of you who love basketball, think of LeBron James. You going one on one with LeBron James, or play, or playing with uh, Roger Federer tennis at Wimbledon, you have no chance. I have no chance of winning that game. I have no chance of beating these people. And so these guys will have taken a breath and uh, uh, as they listen to Jesus, because how can my righteousness surpass uh, that of the Pharisees who were committed? You know what the Pharisees used to do. If they, if they were walking down the road and there was a woman coming their way, they would actually close their eyes and bump into things because they did not want to look at that woman lustfully because they, she would cause them to sin. And so we, as you read verse 20, and as people listen to Jesus say the words of verse 20, they'll have said, it's impossible. It's impossible. And this is where Jesus wants wants us to be, to come to a place and a point where we realize that we cannot keep the law. We cannot have our own righteousness. And so we cry before God, won't you make me right? That's what the word righteous, righteousness is, to be right before God, to be in the, the right standing before God. I can't do this on my own. I'm failing. And yet I want to become part of your kingdom people. I want to enter into the kingdom of, of heaven. So notice this, my dear friends, this morning. Righteousness is not earned by keeping the law. Righteousness is given by God out of grace and mercy. Amen? We are given righteousness. And how do we know that we've been given righteousness? We have to look at God's Son as He's on that cross. He says, I've come to give my life as ransom for many. And so he gives me his obedience, his faithfulness, his right standing before God as he takes on my unrighteousness so that I can be approved of God, so that I can become part of God's children, so that I can stand and enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law. I've come so that I can fulfill the law. And so that you can see that your only response after you understand the grace and mercy of God is to go out and live for him and obey him in what he has said. So don't use the law to try and be right with God, my dear friends. Perhaps this morning I'm speaking to somebody who is saying that I, if only I can get better at obeying God's law. If only I can be good, then I'll be acceptable. If only I can do that which uh, the Bible says I must do, then God will love me. Listen, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter. So maybe today is the day you come and you say, Lord, won't you give me your righteousness? 
And perhaps you're a Jesus follower, a disciple, and, you, and you're saying, well, do I do away with the Lord? Jesus says, no. The law is our act of worship before Almighty God. It is the thing that we will live out in appreciation for all that God has done for us. My dear friends, God has had amazing grace upon me. And so how do I show my appreciation, my love? I live out His Word. And wherever it is that God has placed me, I live out God's word, and I am different, and I call others to recognize this work of God, this grace of God, and to desire their lives to be different. Is that you, Christian friend? So why don't we bow our heads and ask God to help us to understand and to live out his word. Shall we pray together?